0: The old world is dying. The new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. Um, With those words from Gramsci, I welcome you to the Time of Monsters uh, podcast, uh, sponsored by The Nation magazine and widely available on all podcast platforms. Um, The news from Israel and um, uh, Palestine continues to dominate. Uh, headlines. Um, uh, what we're witnessing is um, one of the most ferocious, um, if not the most ferocious, war we've seen in the 21st century. Um, uh, in um, terms of the the pace of killing um, and the civilian deaths, uh, including the deaths of children, um, uh, at a level that uh, you know um, is rare even among like uh, uh, horrific wars that we've seen elsewhere in um, Syria and in Ukraine. Um, And I want to take up the issue of the uh, relationship of the United States to all this. um, And to do so, um, I'm very happy to have on uh, Youssef Maner, who's the head of the Palestine-Israel program uh, at Washington, D.C., and is uh, one of the sort of outstanding Palestinian voices um, on these issues. Um, And I guess we should start with... um, I, I wanna like put foot for squarely um the political issue of um the Biden administration and its handling of this. Because I, I think uh for Americans in particular that, that that um that is very important to think about. And since the start of this, uh Biden has um followed what people are calling a bear hug strategy. And um I, I think that strategy um and its failure um gets at a lot of uh, what's going on. Yeah, sure. So, uh, and, uh, thanks wanna, for having me on G.
1: I mean um You know, one of the challenges that the Israelis um, say they face and actually quite resent when it comes to bombing uh, Gaza, which is, of course, something we've seen um, over and over again, uh, is that they feel that they have um, limited time to achieve their stated objectives. And the amount of time that they have is really um, a product of Sort of international opinion about the way that they're conducting uh, these bombardments, uh, which of course leads to uh, outrage and pressure from the Western governments, which they rely on uh, to effectively wrap it up. Um, and they've they've seen this numerous times. We saw it, of course, in 2021 during the Biden administration when an Israeli bombardment of Gaza um, began, uh, and um, uh, you know was. Uh, shortly after the Israelis destroyed a, a high-rise building housing the um, offices of the Associated Press and Al Jazeera on live TV at the time, uh, that there was um, you know, a, a real outcry, and it, it, it led to the U.S. government effectively telling the Israelis um, it's time to wrap this up. Um, this time around, I think very early on, uh, the Israelis and the Americans agreed. Uh, that um, the Israelis wanted as much time as they could get to try to do what they wanted to do in Gaza. And we're seeing that on, on full display. And what they're doing is, is horrific. Mass destruction of okay. civilian architecture, uh, a- infrastructure, and um, a-, a rate of killing, as you point out, uh, that rivals some of the most horrific, um, horrific things that we've seen over the last um, uh, uh, many decades um, in fact, uh, I, I saw that, that uh, Nick Kristof in, in the New York Times noted that it was the fastest pace of killing of innocents that he's seen since the Rwandan genocide. Um, so so this, is, this is the situation That's on right. the ground. And I think, you know, when you talk about the bear hug strategy, part of that uh, was not just um, a commitment to provide Israel with the weapons, That it needs to do what it wants to do to Palestinians in Gaza, uh, but also to provide it with the political space and really through the participation in the information war in ways that I have never seen the United States be such a uh, uh, willing um, uh, participant and in such a fully committed way. Um, It it really contrasts with anything we've seen from American administrations in prior episodes of Israel bombing the Gaza Strip, so much so that, um, you know, today, even the Israeli military spokesman came out um, and pushed back against uh, the State Department spokesperson here in the United States, which was pushing pushing this line about Israeli hostages uh, not being released by Hamas because Hamas is Sexually abusing them and doesn't want to let them out because of that. I mean, it's got to the point where the Israeli military is telling the U.S. State Department, "Hey, you know, slow down. Your pro-Israel line is getting a little bit too extreme, even for us, right?" <laughs> um, and 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 I think
0: like this is. That's right, I yeah, mean, it's yeah, crazy yeah. when you think about it, but this is where we're at, right? Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's an astonishing thing that uh, you know. I guess there's a, the phrase "more Catholic than the Pope," uh, and that is uh, Look, what the, uh, Joe Biden, yeah, is the right Israeli now. He's ambassador the idea. At the outset, to the United States uh, at the
1: outset of this war, and he gave an interview to, to CNN, which I I remember vividly. He said, "Look, you know, historically, uh, the United States has always been there to give us a hug." On the first day of the war, we want to make sure that you guys are still willing to give us that hug weeks and months into this thing. Uh, And, you know, the Biden administration has been Mm. doing that the entire time. And they tried to message this at the outset as a strategy that would help them kind of shape Israeli behavior on the ground. Uh, They said that, you know, know, by, Mm. by, by publicly embracing the Israelis to the full extent, no matter what they're doing on the ground in Gaza, Um, you know, we'll be able to kind of guide Israeli behavior and limit what they're doing and try to control the situation. But this has failed at every step of the way. Early on, they said they wanted to try to avoid a ground invasion. A ground invasion happened. They said they wanted to avoid attacks uh, on uh, civilians. We saw that go, you know, um, uh, in in the opposite direction in in a very significant way. We, you know, see seen them say that they want to uh, avoid attacks on the health infrastructure. And then they ended up not only attacking the health infrastructure, but the United States became a willing supporter of it mm-hmm. through its rhetoric as well. So even, you know, if you... It, yeah.
0: And even now, they're saying... The, we don't want a replication in the south of what it's happened happening. in the north and it's been happening throughout it's, it's happening right? yeah uh, it's, so so, so anyway. know,
1: the, the idea that this so-called bear hug strategy uh is uh is working and modifying israeli behavior there's just there's just no real evidence of that uh, all of the evidence that we have actually points to yeah. the contrary uh that us support un unchecked support for for israel uh has enabled uh, the the horrific sort of excesses that we've seen, um, uh, at a, at a time where you're seeing, you know, this yeah. war set all kinds uh, of records for the killing of uh, children and for journalists and for aid workers. Um, it's it's just it's it's horrifying and disgraceful.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and I. Well, also uh, just in terms of like the American. Um, uh, for uh, national interest, um, like, you know, this strategy of like basically giving Israel a blank check and then but occasionally putting in rhetorical rejoinders. well, maybe try not to do that. And then having Israel, you know, like uh, uh, completely ignore whatever it is that the the American cautions are like this to, uh, from the outside it makes America look very weak. Like it actually makes Biden look like, you know, he's not in charge, um, that uh, 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 he's being led around by Israel. And that um, uh, it, uh, to me, it's like it undermines um, American, uh, the way American is is seen around the world. And uh, we've seen that, especially like sort of in the global South, um, uh, where there's been a, a lot of criticism and a lot of people basically saying, you know, like, you know, you have this rhetoric of human rights. Uh, the liberal international order, and, uh, you know, like, we clearly see uh, what nonsense this is. So, like, even, you know, leaving aside the humanitarian concerns, like, th- this seems like, like, um, you're undermining America's own position in the world in very, like, yeah, tangible know, ways. You're absolutely and right. What?
1: And the, the the ways in which this impacts American interests are really, really profound. Um, you know, first first and foremost, you have the situation in the region. You know, the Biden administration has sent aircraft carriers uh, to the Mediterranean, submarines uh, into mm-hmm. uh, the region uh, at a time where there is mm-hmm. a a major war, when there are regional militias, all of which who have their fingers uh, on the trigger, and the United States is sending more military assets uh, into mm-hmm. a region that could immediately blow up into a bigger regional conflagration that would drag the United States into a major regional war again in the Middle East. Um, and, you know, the, the person who um, may have the most control over that situation, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, is, is somebody who has long dreamt of getting the United States into a major uh, confrontation with Iran. Um, and for the Biden administration, to essentially yeah. outsource uh, this kind of decision to someone like Benjamin Netanyahu, I mean, it's it's the height of in,
0: insanity. Um, you know, it's terrifying. It is exactly, and I, I want to just underscore: like a lot of the Israeli behavior, uh, the Israeli government behavior seems deliberately um, prov- uh, a provocation uh, to create that eventuality. Like, what I can't understand, like in the context of. Having a war in Gaza to like also allow the settlers like free reign to conduct lynching campaigns in the West Bank, um, and to have um allow uh, um uh, uh the march through the um Temple Mount, like all of these are like sort of provocative actions, uh, which almost seem designed um to really you know test um um uh, uh, uh militia groups and Iran and and you know provoke. Exactly that sort of regional confrontation, which like is absolutely not in the interest of like the United States or really most it's people not. in the world. Like the, you know it's, like it's another absolutely Middle East war. not, and it's it important to
1: understand that for this most recent war, we were already seeing the most far right extremist government in Israeli history, uh, filled with ideologues who would love to use the opportunity of a major war to advance their vision for an Israel that is free of Palestinians uh, and one that, um, uh, you know, dominates uh, the entire uh, territory uh, between the Mediterranean river and the Jordan sea. Um, This is, this is part of their, their vision for Mm -hmm. the future. Um, And, you know, they're absolutely using every opportunity they can to pour fuel on the fire. I just want to say though, it's not just about a regional war where uh, this implicates, American interests. It's much bigger than that. Um, Look at what's happening with Ukraine now. Uh, The United States is completely distracted from that. It's close to not being able to continue financing that. This has been the primary foreign policy focus of this administration. And it's entirely been thrown to the wayside because of the, um, you know, bear hug, if you will, approach to, uh, to, to this Israeli war on Gaza. Look at what it's doing to American credibility and opinion in the global south, right? Uh, this this idea that the Biden administration has put forward mm-hmm. throughout its campaigning on Ukraine, that the United States is upholding the global rules-based order and international law and all this stuff, it's just been completely blown to, to pieces, you know? Um, American allies in the region, the Jordanians, the Egyptians, Gulf states, all of them, uh, are are all facing instability uh, because of the situation that continues and the bombardment uh, of Gaza. And many of them are making trips over to China, making trips over to Russia to see if um, somebody else can help uh, bring some sanity to this part of, uh, of the world. Uh, and th- this is not good for the United States. So the extent to which it is, you know, going, um, it, it, it doesn't suit American interests, um, and uh, it, it also, in my view, and, and, and perhaps we can segue to this, doesn't suit the interests, the electoral interests of, uh, of President Biden either, and it's really hard to wrap one's head around what he's thinking, um, and the only thing I can sort of conclude is that the man personally is a committed Zionist, um, and he's told us that a lot. Um and uh and, and it, mm-hmm. it's it, it's hard to to
0: understand his behavior in any other way. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, the uh, Biden's motivations uh, for this uh, are very interesting because it, it is something that is you know fracturing his own uh, party and his own coalition. And then this is like you know not just at the level of protesters, but like we've seen uh, White House staff. Uh, you know, um, uh, make sense. We've seen um, uh, dissent channels within the State Department. Um, and congressional staffers also going to like vigils and uh, circulating dissent from this policy. So like at like every level and certainly donors um, and others um, and in, uh, you know, crucial Midwestern states uh, where um, there's a considerable number of um, um uh, Muslim Americans and and Arab Americans were not happy with us. Uh, uh, it, it's gonna um, uh, and where Biden like you know only squeaked through barely in a, in a victory. Like like uh, the, the sort of electoral consequences are very um, uh, uh, he, uh, dubious and all opinion polls show. That you know the strongest support for the war comes from Republicans, and that like if you look at Democrats and Independents, they're like much more dubious about what's going on. Um. So so you're basically having a policy that's geared uh, towards pleasing people who are never going to vote for you, and which are going to make unhappy the people who do vote for you, and might discourage enough of them not to vote. Um. So the electoral calculation doesn't make a lot of sense um but but the point you said about biden being a zionist um i think that that's not emphasized enough like there's an element of ideology here and especially an element of age you know this is a man who's like you know uh 80 years old um he came of age uh like in the 50s and 60s when sort of liberal zionism was a major kind of in American culture, um, and well outside the Jewish community, that there was a kind of um, uh, affinity between liberalism and Zionism at that point, and people who uh, did see Israel as a kind of shining beacon of democracy, uh, and even in some cases of socialism, uh, uh, and um, who are very committed to that. And we've seen this at several many points at Biden's career um including like in the 1980s with uh um uh the war in Lebanon where you know like at one point like Ronald Reagan who's president at that time um went to the uh talked to the Israeli uh, prime minister uh, Begin and told him you know Begin what's happening is a holocaust it has to stop and we have like um, reports of Biden at that time saying, you know, like he's totally on board with what's happening in Lebanon. So in the 1980s, Joe Biden was Begin. to the right of Ronald Reagan, right, who who uh, himself at the time yeah, said, Begin, you know, "I
1: had to disassociate myself from the extreme comments of Here's the Senator Biden, who was, you know, taking taking this extreme position." I mean, this is <laughs> this is Menachem Begin, the guy that was the leader of the of the the terrorist Irgun party, right? Like. This is not some peacenik we're talking about. Right. And Joe Biden was, you know, more of a gung ho go kill the Arab Zionist than Menachem Begin. I mean, this is the guy who's president of the United States today. And and I think it's not it's not just that he is from an older generation. And there's no doubt that there is a generational divide in the way that people view this issue, uh, not just a partisan divide, but a generational one uh, as well. Uh, it is because he, and there's plenty of, mm. of, of evidence of this, um, uh, is more to the right, more ideologically committed as a Zionist mm. than the average 80-year-old Democrat, right? Um, so, so I mean, this, and you're right, the <laughs> electoral <laughs> calculus doesn't make sense. And, and look, I think it's important to note here, like, um, when it comes to national security issues, um, it, you know, it... The electoral calculus shouldn't be the determining factor, right? National interest should be the determining factor. No, no. But it doesn't make sense in terms of the American national interest. It doesn't make sense in terms of the domestic political calculus. So, what is this about? I mean, I'm left only to believe that it is it is about Biden's ideology, um, and you know, it's. I think it's it's gonna. It obviously has devastating consequences for Palestinians first and foremost on the ground in Gaza. Um, but it, it, it's going to have a ripple effect that's going to impact uh, Americans. And it's certainly going to impact, I think, the Democratic Party. One thing I would, I would note about the electoral piece, um, you, you are absolutely right that there are certain states where specific constituencies uh, could, could play an outsized role in determining the outcome, uh, like the Arab and Muslim community in Michigan, for example. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the story. But I think another mm-hmm. important part of the story, which often gets missed when talking about the impact of this war on, on uh, the election, is that it's not just these constituencies that care about this issue anymore. It's not just an Arab issue or a Palestinian American or a Muslim issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I- increasingly, um, different constituencies, including younger voters and people of color, uh, have adopted the issue of Palestine as a litmus mm. test on support for justice, and it becomes a prism through which many people view candidates and their commitment to justice. Uh, and so, the impact of this is going to be much bigger than just within those constituencies. Um, and I think you know it's it, it's unclear exactly how it's going to play out, but there are tons uh, of red flags right now for anyone trying to put together uh, a winning uh, coalition for the Democrats uh, in next year's election?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what we're seeing from, like, not just uh, all the pollings, but I think if you just go out to, like, any of the protests, um, there are real divides uh, along uh, generational lines and along uh, racial lines, frankly. Uh, uh, and the sort of, you know, the Democratic Party, um, you know, just based on, um, like, what the coalition is and how they won, you know, elections in the last century, like, if they don't have young people, and they don't have people of color, like, like they're they're in big trouble. It's not just Uh, winning a
1: majority uh, of young people. One of the the, the key drivers mm, for Biden's uh, uh, election victory in 2020 was not just that he won young people, but that they turned out in greater numbers than they had turned out before. And so, you know, if you ask young people, you know, Mm -hmm. would you rather have Biden over Trump or Trump over Biden? They're probably not going to say that they would rather have Mm -hmm. Trump Mm -hmm. over Biden. But the question is, are they going to be motivated to go out and support Biden in the ways that were required to deliver a victory in 2020? What we're seeing right now suggests the exact opposite.
0: Yeah, no, no. I, 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 that's absolutely uh, right. Um, and in some ways, I mean, you know, I, I think the generational divide, um, as you say, Biden is to the right of what even like 80 year old uh, Democrats think. And, and certainly like, you know, one of the interesting things is that where the shift in polling is coming from is coming from those older Democrats, you know, who were initially like all on board with Israel and as the war has progressed have become disenchanted with it. Uh, so I think he's going to even like, you know, um, be discouraging those voters as well. Uh, so yeah, no, it, it seems, um, uh, uh, very, Uh, problematical. And the other thing I would kind of like add is like, you know, the longer the war goes on and the more it dominates headlines, like, you know, the less attention there is to like Trump, like in some ways, like Trump has vanished from like news coverage, uh, despite the fact that there's a lot of things going on where like, on the one hand, he's, uh, you know, has all these um, uh, court problems. And then also he's saying like incredibly incendiary uh, stuff about wanting to be a dictator. And, you know, the Democrats complain, well, this stuff is not getting attention. Uh, but, you know, like, it's hard for that to get right. d- 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 attention if there's a war going on. <laughs> like, so, 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 so just on, like, as you said, you know, this stuff should be decided on a policy matter, what is in America's national security. And that, that national security also, I would uh, say, includes issues of value. Like, you cannot, you know, disentangle America's national interest um, uh, from sort of support of human rights um, uh, and uh, norms of international law. Uh, so, so yeah, on every front, um, it's uh, uh, very bad. Um, I, I want to, um, something we talked about uh, before uh, we started recording um, uh, is uh, the issue of um, uh, kind of the strategies of distraction that we're kind of seeing now. Um, and uh, certainly the, there were hearings held in um, uh, uh, Congress, um, inviting uh, heads of universities, and uh, that took up a lot of attention. And um, I think uh, uh, you've written about how, you know, this has to be seen as a kind of um, uh, not just an anti-free speech thing to try to, like, you know, have a chilling effect on uh, criticism of Israel and academia, but also as a way of distracting from yeah, and, and, you know, what's actually, actually the, happening know the actually
1: This is something I, I, I heard a Zionist activist say years ago, a Zionist activist based in, in Europe who works closely with the Israeli government, was doing a webinar, and one of the things that he said that has long stuck with me, he said, look, you know, um, if we're debating whether or not Zionism um, you know, uh, is anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is anti-Zionism. If, if we're having that debate, even if we are losing that debate, mm-hmm. at least the debate is about that and it's not a debate about whether Israel is an apartheid state, right? Um, and so, you know, it, it becomes a, mm-hmm. a device of, of distraction to kind of make the, the debate about that. But more so, I think it's also part of a, um, a longstanding strategy of repression. Uh, a strategy of transnational repression that um, honestly mm-hmm. the you know there's not enough attention on when it comes to the conversation about transnational repression which we are hearing more about in recent years. Um, and you know this has developed over time as a Israeli government response to dissent in global civil society, specifically as a response to efforts to boycott, divest mm-hmm. and sanction Israel. Um, and the Israelis realized that they had a problem with BDS, with Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions. And the problem was mm. specifically that it was nonviolent dissent. Uh, the Israelis were far more comfortable dealing with mm. Hamas, right? They, they, they outgunned them significantly. Yes. And, you know, none of their allies are really going to question the use of fierce repression against violent mm. attacks, Right. But nonviolent dissent presents a completely different challenge. And as one Israeli general once said, we don't do Gandhi very well, right? Uh, This was sort of the the perspective. And so the strategy (laughs) in the Israeli government that developed over time as a way to respond to this was to rebrand nonviolent dissent as inherently violent or discriminatory, right? And so the effort became an attempt to connect nonviolent mm-hmm. dissent through boycotts, divestment and sanctions to terrorism or anti-Semitism. And actually, the Israeli government agencies who were involved in this are quite, quite transparent about, uh, about the effort. In doing so, uh, they hope then to piggyback on existing anti-terrorism law and anti-discrimination law, which circumvents First Amendment and free expression protections. Mm-hmm. To be able to target dissenters in third countries, whether it's in the United States or Europe. So now you're seeing, for example, protesters in Europe being arrested for protest chants, right, that are deemed anti-Semitic, right? That were never Mm -hmm. deemed anti-Semitic before, right? But now, Mm -hmm. because you can brand the chant Mm -hmm. as anti-Semitic, you can then bring in hate crimes law or or law enforcement in other ways to shut down protests. This is how transnational repression in the Israel context uh, operates, and we've seen it go into overdrive uh, in the last uh, couple of months. Um, and I think the the the, the you know the, the show trial that we saw the other day uh, in Congress, uh, which was you know designed to, to generate uh, outrage with these with these uh, presidents, uh, is is part and parcel of this broader of this broader strategy.
0: Yeah, no, the, the, that makes uh, a that, that makes a lot of sense, and certainly um, uh, one can see its effectiveness, particularly in Europe, uh, where you know they don't have the First Amendment and they have stronger traditions, uh, uh, particularly in Germany, of uh, sort of suppression of speech that's seen as uh, discriminatory, for, you know, for obvious historical reasons. Um, but I also have to wonder, like, ultimately, how effective this is, because from what I'm seeing from the polling, and this includes polling in Europe. You know, like there's there's, uh, um, uh, this war is becoming less and less popular. You know, it it, there is, you know, like if you ask people, you know, more broadly, um, uh, I think in many Western countries, like, you know, the the general feeling is that they want their governments to be even handed. Um, uh, And uh, and certainly we've seen some of the largest protests. You know, since uh, in the last twenty years, uh, anti-war protests like all over the world. Uh, so yeah, uh, um, and uh, so like, how effective is this? Like actually, like um, in achieving its goal. Like it seems like to me, it seems yeah, like public I, opinion. I, is I really you your opening
1: with Gramsci because to me, this is uh, this is evidence of hegemony shattering. Uh, and this, you know, and I think this is what we mm-hmm. are seeing now. Yeah. And so, you know, I think Gramsci would tell us that, you know, real power is the ability to uh, control and shape behavior without having to actually wield power and without actually having to wield repression. Um, but when mm-hmm. when hegemony shakes and, and, and we are seeing today in the United States um, a real pushback against what has been the traditional blank check pro-israel line that continues to, to dominate uh, the official sort of policymaking circles uh, from mm-hmm. below uh, from uh, protests from younger generations and so on um, and the response to that shaking hegemony has been uh, you know this this effort at repression uh, and I think that only that only
0: um,
1: catalyzes the dynamic. Uh, of uh, of shattering that that um, that hegemony yes. over time, um, and you know I think we are we are seeing people increasingly realize that what's happening is silencing and intimidation uh, and an effort to uh, distract, um, mm-hmm. and and I think the cat's out of the bag. You know uh, it's it's uh, it's a it's going to be a very turbulent and disruptive period in the years to come. Um, but once hegemony breaks, it's really hard to put back together again. Um, and, and, the, and, and defending apartheid yeah. has become very, very difficult to do. Um, and I think it's only becoming more difficult over time. You know, G, after previous um, episodes of massive Israeli bombardments on Gaza, whether it's 2008, 2009, 2014, mm-hmm. um, one of the outcomes of that has been a tremendous growth in global civil society activism to demand for accountability. Uh, we saw that in, in, you know, in 2010, we saw that mm-hmm. in 2015 in, in the response to that, and that's something that the Israeli government is significantly worried about because the uh, war on Gaza this time is orders of magnitude greater uh, than the ones that we saw in 2008 and 2014 mm-hmm. um, and the global response I think we should expect uh, in terms of people being politicized and mobilized to demand for accountability will be orders of magnitude greater mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, th- I think that's, uh, I think that we're already seeing that happening. And I think that's actually a good note um, to, uh, to end on. So uh, I, I want to thank you for, again, for being on. This has uh, been uh, Thanks a, for having a really uh, illuminating discussion.